So last week I um, we were speaking about the Four Noble Truths, which is part of the heart of the Buddhist teaching. Noble Truth of the great realization that the Buddha had upon awakening that there is suffering, there's dissatisfactoriness. As well as, of course, there being joy in the world of this recognition of uh, the challenges at hand. These challenges pertain to the different occurrences that happen in our day-to-day life, different difficulties, uncertainties, challenges, and of course some of the bigger ones of the facts that none of us can escape from aging, illness, and death, separation. The second great realization and noble truth was the cause of suffering, that it is a cause. And this is very profound. This is a brief overview, and the Buddha understood that the cause was unawareness, ignorance, that fueled, that fuels craving. This craving for sensual delight, the craving to be someone, the craving to feel nothing. So last week I unpacked each of these aspects is craving for sensual delight. It is rooted in deficiency that somehow outside of ourselves we will get something that will bring fulfillment and contentment. This craving to be someone is like looking for love in all the wrong places, trying to be special, trying to be important. Yes, it is very important as well, though, in our human needs to be recognized, to be understood, but when the craving becomes so compelling and intoxicating, that somehow our sense of worth is dependent upon others telling us how wonderful we are, it's um, never going to uh, bring us contentment. And then this last sense of craving that is fueled by unawareness is this craving to not feel anything. So many times there's pain in our lives and we just want to turn off, watch television, use drugs, alcohol, whatever it is to just to sleep, to just not want to feel the pain. The third great realization is that there can be an end to suffering by the lessening, by the eradicating of these graspings and clingings to sensual delight, to wanting to be someone special, to wanting to feel nothing. And that this pathway to lessening, to eradicating, is this fourth great realization, the fourth noble truth of how to live our lives, to cultivate more integrity, Living our lives virtuously, which naturally helps to settle the mind. We begin to restrain parts of our ways of living that further suffering and encourage those parts of living a life of integrity that helps to settle the mind, to live with less harm, to grow with more generosity, with more heartfulness. And of course, as we begin to settle our minds and hearts, Naturally, this opens the doorway to deeper understanding, deeper wisdom, understanding into suffering, its causes, its pathway to its end. So these are the four noble truths, which is really, in Buddhism, the heart and the essence of the teachings. And there's another essential teaching that I want to share today that was actually the second 
discourse or talk that the Buddha ever gave. The first one was called the Dharma Chakra Bhavatana Sutta, the turning of the wheel of the Dharma, which is of the Four Noble Truths. And the second talk that the Buddha gave is called the Anatta Lakana Sutta, the marks of existence, the three marks of existence. And in these three marks of existence, this is one of, um, within these teachings, is one of the most perplexing elements that many people find with um, the teachings of, in Buddhism. So these three marks is um, impermanence, suffering, and non-self. And so I think many of us can understand about um, you know the suffering from time to time, or just stress, challenges, and we also can understand about impermanence, but this teaching of non-self can be very perplexing, because you know, you look in the mirror, who do you see? You see yourself. In our Western world, you know, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. And so it's very challenging, this teaching of non-self. What do you mean I'm not self? I'm me. Look in the mirror. I pay taxes. <laughs> Whatever. And so this teaching of non-self really can be very perplexing, very challenging to our core and our fabric because we relate to ourselves and our fabric is, this is who I am. And this teaching is challenging that to some degree. And so what, what does that mean? This teaching of non-self, or not to take it personally, or um, the ownerless nature of things. Perhaps that's a, a, a more... Uh, of a definition that can help us to understand this non-ownership. One of the teachings within the, the, the Buddha taught was that if there was an owner, then there would be some sense of control, and you could just easily say, body, don't get sick. Don't age. Stay right where you are, because this is going good. Wouldn't we like to be able to do that? And since we're unable to do that, this is a, a mark of the ownerless nature. We don't have control. There's not a sense of controlling what's happening. So this is an aspect of the ownerless nature. It's actually very interesting. A very interesting book that you might want to pick up sometime is called The Buddha's Brain by Rick Hansen. And he's a neuroscientist, neuropsychologist. And um, neuroscientists are very interested in looking into the brain to actually find out which area of the brain is actually the eye of the me. And so far, neuroscientists cannot find any one center. There's systems and subsystems and sub-subsystems of subsystems that are you know, like a computer, all these operational elements that, with cognition and memory and so forth, but as far as some local, generalized, generalized place within the brain, the sense of self is not to be found yet. Maybe it will be someday, or maybe, well, I don't know. So it's very interesting from a, from a neuroscientific point of view, the sense of self is not to be found in the brain. Yes, there's all these systems and subsystems. In Buddhism, what is actually, what is referred to as a human being is two processes, a mental process and a physical process. So there's, a, there's a, an acknowledgement, there is a mental process. The question is, you know, that there may not be someone who's actually running the show. To some degree. Now, this can be very discombobulating. As a psychiatrist friend of mine said, after doing a lot of intensive meditation practice, he said that this is really disabusing. And I thought, oh my God, I'm abusing my friend who's a psychiatrist? What's going to happen? I had to go look up the word disabusive in the dictionary. 
I never knew that word before, but disabusive means that when you're oriented, you get, your, your sense of how you identify and see the world becomes kind of tipsy-turvy, upside down. You don't see it the way that you normally see it, and everything gets kind of um, questionable, not on solid ground. And so the teaching of non-self is kind of a disabusive teaching, because we're not quite like, well, well, wait a minute, if I'm not me, then who am I? Actually, that's a really good question to ask. If I am not my story, who am I without my story? It's a very powerful question to ask. Because we might discover that some of the stories of how we've identified who it is that I am may not really serve our well-being. It may actually not be a full definition of who it is that we are. Some of us, perhaps from early on, have been told stories that will never amount to anything. We're not pretty, or we're not handsome, or we're not smart, or, you know, all the different stories that sometimes in life we begin to believe that they're actually true, and it begins to shape our personality and the way that we are in the world. These stories are based in deep deficiency, in inadequacy, and shame into feeling in certain ways that really don't support our health, our well-being. So these stories that we've come to identify with who it is that we are may or may not really serve us. And our task perhaps before us within this practice is to break free of these stories, to see more clearly what's here. So there's another reference that's sometimes used about the Buddha, and it says that he is known as the unconditioned one, which is another um, word that I like in the sense that the unconditioned points to that there was some type of conditioning and that there was some conditioning that was broken. And so this to me perhaps is uh, an important point here. And when we look at our stories, and sometimes in psychology, what was called like our narratives, our narrative-based self. And this narrative-based self is based upon our story and our history and our lives. But there's another aspect that's called the immediacy-based self that's based on present moment experience that may not necessarily be governed by this narrative story. Perhaps the word, the unconditioned, as a definition of the ownerless nature of things or non-identification or no self, is one that has broken through the conditioning of the narrative of the self, of the definitions of how I define who it is that I am. So perhaps when the Buddha, when it is referred to that he's broken free and that he's experienced the unconditioned, he's broken through the conditioned sense of self, the conditioned sense of the story and the narrative. And I actually kind of like that as a as, a, as an understanding, it's breaking free of the narrative or seeing through the narrative, seeing through that this narrative is not the full definition of who it is that I am. This is a lot more accessible. And the point is, I, I don't want to get down about this narrative, our story, because it's what we get to work with in this life. There's no, like... I'll just bypass the narrative and just walk around and be enlightened. Like I, I don't think that's going to happen. And the narrative is where is where what we get to work with to awaken. And we can't awaken without a narrative. So the narrative is important, but we use the narrative in such a way to free ourselves rather than being enslaved. 
This is our task before us, to get to know our narrative, to get to know those places inside us where we are wounded, where we're not seeing clearly, where we're holding back, where we are pushing away. Because actually these are all indicators if we use this practice in a skillful way where we actually need to bring more attention to, to the places that we are stuck, the places that we are wounded, the places that we do fear, the places that we have unacknowledged inside us. These are the pathways into seeing more clearly. John Kabat-Zinn, he has an interesting um, little twist of um, the three marks of existence, which again is suffering, impermanence, and no self. And so he's brought a more contemporary definition where for suffering, he simply says, shit happens. We all can understand that. Shit happens. And as far as uh, impermanence, he says, he says, things change. And the last, this no self, don't take it personally. So whatever way we want to categorize it or call it, it's pointing these teachings towards freedom. And perhaps in these marks of existence, maybe the suffering in some sense is a little bit optional. In the sense that if we can see through the stories and understand completely that everything is filled with change, that the only thing is permanent is change, then perhaps the suffering aspect is a little bit optional because we have that sense of wisdom and understanding. When we don't see clear, when we don't have that understanding, when we're trying to find the permanence in the impermanence, then we'll greet and meet suffering very quickly and very easily. So how do we bring this into our lives is to attend with mindfulness. And next week um, I want to speak about the applications of how we become, uh, how we work with these uh, narratives and stories is through the four foundations of mindfulness. So this will be for next week. But we can begin today and every day to become more mindful of the stories that we tell ourselves, being more mindful of the places that we're stuck, where we're holding back, where our hearts are hardened, and we can begin right now working the work that's probably the most important work to be done on this planet, is the work on ourselves to heal our own hearts. The Buddha said that hatred never ceases by hatred, only love ceases hatred. This is an ancient and universal law. So this is the path before us that we can begin right now to begin to see the stories that we tell ourselves. Maybe we can even ask, is this really true? Or is this some story that I've told myself through the years that I've believed to be true? So let's just sit for a few more minutes and um, we'll end for today. So just bringing awareness into the heart, feeling into the chest, into the sternum, feeling into this heart that pumps blood through our body, believe it or not, 60,000 miles a day. Blood is circulating through this body, keeping our body alive, bringing in the richness of nutrients and returning those that 
are well spent. This heart is the great symbol of all that is fragile and all that is precious. And may we open our hearts to great compassion for ourselves, for our own shortcomings, for our own narratives that have somehow told us enslaved us to feel deficient or flawed or inadequate or with shame. Feeling that we're not enough, that we're not beautiful, that we'll never amount to anything. Opening into this heart of ours with great compassion that these stories are just stories We no longer have to be enslaved by them, opening into this heart of compassion, opening into this heart of wisdom, seeing clearly that they are just stories, seeing through the stories with wisdom. our own hearts and let us open into others, standing this goodwill, compassion to those that are near and dear, and even extending to those that we don't know, for we all share this world together. And each of us has our own challenges of life, our own stories of pain. Extending our goodwill to all of these fellow beings, may each of them find the gateways into their own hearts. May they know love, may they know peace. Letting this goodwill extend to all the creatures, great and small, throughout this world, those living on the earth or in it, those living in the waters, those living mostly in the air, extending our goodwill and loving kindness to all beings. May they dwell with peace. Standing this goodwill above and below, here and everywhere, in all directions throughout this universe, may all beings dwell with peace.
As we've extended outwards, coming back inwards into our own hearts, feeling our sense of our bodies sitting on the chairs or the cushions, feeling a sense of connection to the earth below you, the fellow beings around you, feeling our connection to this world, to this universe, to the very particles that make up the cells, particles that make up the atoms, are found here and everywhere. If there's a sense of ownership, the ownership is we are the universe. May all beings find the gateways into their hearts and may all beings dwell with peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.